Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness, kindness, your love. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for this time we have in your word. I pray uh, once again that everyone who you have brought to our body today uh, would heed the words that you have spoken and that I would simply be your mouthpiece and it would be encouraging and convicting and uplifting and also causing us to look into our souls. And I thank you, God, for uh, the, the work and purpose that you will accomplish through the proclamation of your precious and perfect word. So thank you once again for everyone here and those listening on the live stream. Pray your just extra measure of grace on them today, God, and uh, through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us turn to Genesis chapter 5. And I shared in our care groups this past Wednesday uh, just a bit of clarification from last Sunday in Genesis chapter 4. So we saw some contrast between the line of Cain and the line of Seth. And uh, it seems like, or could seem like, that everybody in Cain's family and Cain's descendants were wicked and evil. And everybody in Seth's line and Seth's family were righteous and good. Uh, but that's not the case um, at all. Actually, none are good, according to the Bible. None are righteous ever since the fall. Sin was passed down to every single person in both families, Cain's line and Seth's line, both of their descendants and each individual. So we're going to see that uh, when we get to chapter 6 in the next few Sundays, um, that actually the whole earth, everybody's uh, descendants who were alive at the time of Genesis 6, is deemed wicked and evil, except for Noah and his family. So the point there was that the hope and the promise and the seed that God said about all those things um, was, was going to be kept. And it was going to be kept throughout all the cultural advances of godless men, Cain's line, right? And there were also some men via Seth's line who established worship of God on the earth, calling on and proclaiming his name. Okay, and so this is all by God's grace. We just did a super quick review of last Sunday to get us into our passage today. This is all of God's grace and all for his glory. I'll say this. Maybe point of last week's sermon can be summed up in the words of the prophet Jeremiah. He says, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast in his wisdom, let not a, wi- a mighty man boast in his might, and let not a rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, who exercises loving kindness and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. That is a good summary, uh, just in those few verses, of what we went over last Sunday. And that brings us into our theme, our big idea, from the text today in Genesis chapter 5. And you have in your bulletins some information there, outline and everything. But the theme for today is sinners who answer the call of God in faith have hope of victory over death as they walk with the Lord. And chapter 5, the whole thing, 32 verses, is uh, going to be our our text today. So I want to get right into it here. And even though it's a genealogy, which by the time some people have their Bible reading plan and they get to this part, 
um, and there's all these names, and it's just really long. They, they start to peter out a little bit, right? But then they get to the flood, and they go, okay, this is pretty interesting. They read that. Then you get to Genesis chapter 10, chapter 11. There's more names and more descendants and genealogies, and uh, some people just kind of bail on their Bible, Bible reading plan at that point. But I want to encourage you once again that everything here is God's Word. And so if you are able to, to stand for 32 verses, I'll invite you to do that. But if it's going to be tough for, for some of you, that's, that's okay. You can remain seated. But um, Genesis chapter 5, I'm going to read the whole thing, all right? And here we go. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them, and named them man in the day when they were created. Verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Then the days of Adam, after he he became the father of Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years and became the father of Enosh. Then Seth lived 807 years after he became the father of Enosh, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years, And became the father of Canaan. Then Enosh lived 815 years after he became the father of Canaan, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Canaan lived 70 years and became the father of Mahalel. Then Canaan lived 840 years after he became the father of Mahalel, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Mahalah lived 65 years and became the father of Jared. Then Mahalah lived 830 years after he became the father of Jared, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalah were 895 years, and he died. Jared lived 162 years and became the father of Enoch. Then Jared lived 800 years after he became the father of Enoch, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God And he was not, for God took him. Methuselah lived 187 years and became the father of Lamech. Then Methuselah lived 782 years after he became the father of Lamech, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Lamech lived 182 years and became the father of a son. Now he called his name Noah saying, This one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands, arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Then Lamech lived 595 years after he became the father of Noah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. 
Noah was 500 years old, and Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Please be seated. You have our theme there, and this is continuing our series of God's story of beginnings. And before we get into our outline points, verses 1 and 2 tell us some things, that this is the book of generations, Toledot, generations. It introduces us to a new section of the book. It's the second Toledot in Genesis. The first one was in 2, verse 4. This is the account, the generations, so to speak, of the heavens and the earth, the account of creation. There's nine total in the book of Genesis. Verse 1 in chapter 5 here starts this new section, this new um, just part of the book. It's connected, obviously, to the story before, but now it's coming in with Adam's genealogy. Okay, the generations after Adam. Continuing with the line of Seth, which we covered some in the end of chapter 4 last Sunday. And it says, In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Okay, this is crystal clear, is it not? Referring back to day 6 of creation, Genesis 1 verse 27, and the creation we rewind in Genesis 2 verse 7. God makes a man which is a male human being. He makes him first. And this man is made in the likeness of God, according to chapter 1, 26 and 27, in God's image, part of which means man is relational, he's responsible, and he's rational. He's completely, he's different, he's separate from the animals that God created on days 5 and 6. So it says, he created them male and female, he blessed them and named them. Right? Moses, the author here, reiterates that God created both male and female. Once again, two genders, male, female, no more, no less. We have to say that. It says he blessed them. The blessing that all human beings receive from God included that they be fruitful and multiply and rule over the earth. Okay, that was man's charge from God. It's called the creation mandate. Okay, from the very beginning, which God blessed mankind with. We are serving as his co-regents on the earth under his authority to carry out God's will. What a precious thing it is to be part of God's plan and purpose for the world, for his glory. Notice God is the authority. He named man. That signifies that man, God is the authority over man in his naming of us. Like Adam naming the animals. Like Adam naming the woman, his wife. So before we get to our point here, lastly... I want you to observe that even after the fall, Adam and all humans are still made in the image and likeness of God. What's the difference, though? It's just it's no longer very good. In fact, it's quite, quite bad after the fall. So our big idea, our theme once again today, is that sinners who answer the call of God in faith have hope of victory over death as they walk with the Lord. And so our first point is the curse of sin and death. And uh, this is like the entire chapter in this first point. So I want to show you like four things that jump out from the text. And it kind of revolves around this main point of the curse of sin and death. And we want to ask, why is there a genealogy here in chapter 5 of Genesis? Why is there? And I want to give you these four reasons that jump out from the text. 
Number one is super short, is that God cares about individuals. God cares about individuals. Okay, you know what? I'm just going to give you all four right now, if you want to jot them down. And then we're going to go over them. So that's the first one. The second reason why there's this genealogy, the purpose of it, is the curse of sin and death passes on to all people. Okay, the curse of sin and death passes on to all people since the fall. This is the fall of Adam and Eve, right, in the garden. Right? That's the second reason. Third reason is this. God provides a record of history. God is providing through this genealogy in chapter 5 a record of history. And last but not least, which I'm going to get to at the very end, okay, um, at the end of the sermon, but is this. It's the primary purpose. God preserves the line of descendants through whom the promised seed of the woman will come. Okay, some of you might have guessed that already, but God preserves the line of descendants through whom the promised seed of the woman is going to come. Okay, this, that's like the, the main point, but all these other things really just are, are in there, so we, I can't ignore them. I can't ignore them, so we're going to go through it. The first one, God cares about individuals. As we look at this record and pattern of this genealogy in chapter 5, God includes, you noticed as I read, their specific names. He repeats the names multiple times. Their lives matter. Their years matter. They count each of them, each son who is named. And some of you are asking, well, it doesn't name those other sons and daughters that you read to us in each one of those sons, right? Well, if it did, the Bible would be quite a bit longer, unmanageably so. Um, unreasonably so, maybe even unendingly so. Uh, This sermon would be a lot, lot longer, too, if he included every one of those sons and daughters' names. So God is wise to include particular names of sons, and it shows that he cares about individuals. These men are named forever in the pages of Scripture. Here we are thousands of years later talking about them. And it's not to glorify them, but to glorify God who created them in his image. And how great of God to record these names. He knows them. He cares for them. And we can be encouraged, too, that God knows our name. He cares for us by name. He knows our years. Every hair is numbered. Despite our sinful nature, God knows and cares. Christian, the one who knows you best, all your secrets, all your sins, all your struggles, all your cravings, all your failings, God loves you and he cares for you the most. Okay? Eternally, his love, his loving kindness is everlasting. And this speaks to his greatness once again and not to our greatness, right? He loves me not because I'm such a, a lovable pastor or a lovable son or a lovable father or a lovable husband. He loves me because he loves me. That's God, the glory of God. So the second thing that this Genesis 5 genealogy shows us. The curse of sin and death passes on to all people since the fall. Okay, God keeps his promises, right? Romans 5:12 again. Death, the result of sin is death, right? This is that repeat, repeated refrain, like a drumbeat, okay, over and over, on cue and in time, and he died. Did you notice that when I was reading the chapter? And he died. This is true of all of Adam's descendants, as represented by the sons that are named in Genesis 5 here. 
and all the sons and daughters to come. This is true of every single one of them. And he died. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. It's an interesting verse with interesting information. Okay, Adam was 100, 130 years old when Seth was born, and he became the father of a son in his own likeness according to his image. Okay, in other words, what Adam produced was someone in his own likeness according to his image. What does this talking about? It refers primarily to the sin nature that Seth inherited from his father Adam. In nature that is twisted and frail and mortal and miserable. A human depravity is imputed from Adam to Seth to Enosh to Canaan and on and on and on. All the descendants, Seth's line, Cain's line, all born sinners. Each of us here this morning, along with the 8 billion other people on this planet, all of us have inherited the sinful nature from our first parents. Right? Romans 5 again. Psalm 51, what does David say? Okay, from the time I was conceived in my mother's womb, I was a sinner. Okay, paraphrasing him in Psalm 51. Okay, so we are not sinners because we sin. Uh, we sin because we're sinners. We're born sinners. That's what sinners do. By nature, by choice. This is what the Bible teaches through and through and through. Okay, so verse 3, Seth was born in his father Adam's own likeness according to his image. Right? Adam produced what he is, okay? another sinful person. So I hope we understand the point here just to illustrate that. A ferocious lion is not going to produce a gentle lamb. Okay? A, a big old back, black crow is not going to produce a, a white dove. Sinners produce what they are. Everything follows the seed of its own nature. No man who is polluted with sin is going to give birth to a holy child. Hey, we love baby Charlie. We love newborn Caleb. Mason is a godly man. Alec is a godly man. But what are baby Charlie and newborn baby Caleb but adorable little reprobates? Hey, they are. So Adam has a son in his own likeness, marred and stained with sin. And you don't have to write this one down, but um, just reminds me that a man who chews on a photo of his father will soon have a spitting image of him. That was, that was just a joke. All right. More seriously, more seriously, to quote a theologian, quote, our first parents, Adam and Eve, are the proximate cause of the original blemish, from whose impure nature the original stain has flowed into our hearts. End quote. Okay, it's talking about what we are due to Adam's fall as our representative, as our head of the human race. So, and he died. Okay, this was sad, but true, as God tells us in this genealogy. It was true then, Way, 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 way back then, and it's true today. So I want to let everybody know today that we're all going to die due to sin. Just as God promised Adam when he warned him not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he commanded him. Um, the ultimate statistic, once again, as Ray Comfort loves to point out as he's evangelizing people, is that 10 out of 10 people die 
Around 150,000 people die every single day. 150,000. You will die one day for sure. You don't know the date. But you will give an account to God who gave you the life that you have. Hey, the one true God. Listen, there's not many gods and many ways to heaven according to Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. So I ask anyone who's here, who's here as gently and lovingly as I can, if you think that there are many gods and many ways to heaven, I want to ask you, do you suppose that you know more about this than the Lord Jesus Christ does? Because he's the one who says that there's only one way to heaven. And God is going to ask you, did you believe in him? Did you trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul? Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord? So in love, God warns sinners and tells us that God has sent his only son to die on a bloody cross so that all who will humble themselves and trust in him will be saved forever. Okay, you might not be aware of it, but you have this terminal disease, okay, this spiritual cancer, and um, it's sin. It's called sin, and it separates you from God. Jesus Christ is the only remedy for that. God's command to you today is come to Jesus. Don't delay. The next reason for this genealogy in chapter 5 of Genesis is that God provides a record of history, including specific years and ages and names from Adam to Noah. Right? Some of you have heard of George and Ira Gershwin, a brilliant 20th century composers and writers, um, classical kind of uh, popular music, Jewish brothers, brilliant. In their famous 1934 opera called Porgy and Bess, they wrote a song, actually Ira's the lyricist, he wrote a song called It Ain't Necessarily So. And part of the lyrics goes like this. Methuselah lived 900 years. Methuselah lived 900 years. But these stories in the Bible, they ain't necessarily so. In other words, um, they're saying it's not necessarily true. By the way, Ira lived to be 86 years old, and he died. George lived to be 38 years old, and he died. Uh, They're the same as every person who was born in the 1800s. All of them have died. It ain't necessarily so. Another way to put that is, did God really say? And the answer is yes. The Bible tells us the specific ages of these men who lived at the beginning of creation. There's absolutely no reason to think that they're random numbers or mythical figures or just some part of this legendary story. It tells us plainly that Adam lived 930 years. Seth, 912, Enosh, 905, Canaan, 910, Mahalal, 895, Jared, 962, Enoch, 365, Methuselah, 969, Lamech, 777. Noah doesn't say it in Genesis 5, but later in Genesis chapter 9, he lived 950 years. So this section, as you might have noticed when I read it, holds to this common pattern. Okay, the name and number of years old when or by when they had a son named in the genealogy. And then the name of the son, whether it's firstborn or not, he had other sons and daughters. 
And then the name again and number of the years that he lived, and then he died. Okay, that's the, that's the pattern. That's the refrain, repeated. All the descendants, almost all. But I want you to notice the exactness, okay, the incredible, remarkable historicity of this record. They're not approximations. Well, they lived about this many years, or roughly just around. No, exactly, not random ages. So the question is, once again, if you're not going to believe the, what the Bible says here in Genesis 5, when are you going to start believing it, right? If you're not going to believe the story from the beginning, when are you going to start believing Genesis? Wait till Abraham in Gen- chapter 12, that's what some people do, right? If you're not going to believe the story about creation in Genesis chapter 1, why are you going to believe the story about the new creation in the New Testament, okay? And threaded throughout the, the Old Testament leading to the cross of Jesus Christ. Why would you believe the gospel or anything about Jesus if you don't believe what it clearly and plainly says in the book of Genesis. So let me give you some explanation about these long years, these long lives, right? In the antediluvian period, antediluvian, antediluvian, that's your six-syllable fancy word, $10, $20 word. 20 is the new 10 these days, right? $20 word um, for today, antediluvian. It means pre Flood, before the flood, anti, Latin, before, diluvian, flood. Okay, it's where we get the English word deluge, right? And so people lived almost a thousand years before the flood. The oldest, as I pointed out, as I read, is Methuselah, 969 years, the oldest recorded man in, in Scripture. Jared is a close second, right? Seven years behind, 962. But the average in the antediluvian pre flood stage is around 900 years after the flood. Looking at the genealogy in chapter 11, which we'll get to at some point, the average length of life, okay, this is Tower of Babel time, is around 300 years. When we get to Abraham's time, which is chapter 12 of Genesis, it's a little bit less than 200 years. And then fast forward to the time of the Exodus. Okay, this is like 700 years after Abraham. Moses lives to how long? Thank you, 120 years old. And that's considered to be getting up there. Okay, pretty, pretty long life. He writes in Psalm 90, as I read and kids sang about, uh, that man generally lives 70 years, and if due to strength, 80 years. And so for 3,000-something years now, that has kind of been the case. So the explanation for that is that things changed quite dramatically in the Earth's atmosphere after the flood. This is possibly due to this protective water covering that was removed um, after the flood, after the rains, and after that, that whole thing happened. And so um, however it happened, maybe just the less exposure to the harmful ultraviolet rays from the sun, um, that may be a factor in why people's lifespans gradually decreased for the centuries following the flood. And also, sin's overall deleterious effects on mankind, on the human body over the centuries, over a number of millennia, thousands of years, okay, the spread of disease, mutations, defects, genetic malfunctions, they continue to increase more and more from the time of Adam's fall. Thousands of years of time passing saw the rise of sin's negative impact even on physical health. So God provides a, a record of history for us from the beginning And it's remarkable to me that he gives such exact numbers. Uh, Kind of a byproduct of those detailed numbers 
um, is that it shows us clearly that, first of all, there's not been millions of years, billions and billions of years, or 2.4 billions of years uh, since the first man existed on the earth. Okay? If we do the math, as many in the past have done, most famously by um, an archbishop named James Usher back in the 1600s. Hey, by the way, this, this archbishop, James Usher, was born on January 4th, January 4th, 1581. Okay, that's my birthday. Uh, according to his calculations, uh, the date of creation was 4004 B.C. Now, many commentators believe that there are some gaps in the genealogies here, whether it's in chapter 5 or in Genesis 11 or in Exodus or in Chronicles. Um, but I'll just say, after what I've looked into all of this, uh, especially in Genesis chapter 5 here, this genealogy, I think some gaps are possible, but I don't think they affect the number of years all that significantly. Certainly and obviously, there are not millions and billions of years of evolution or an extreme number of gaps, okay, which old earth proponents speculate about or, or believe or write about. Um, in their attempts to make evolutionary science fit in with God's word, Again, the question, did God really say, rears its head? Taking Genesis 5 at face value and examining it closely, it actually reveals some enlightening details, which I really don't have time to, to, to share here. But I'm just going to say that uh, I, don't, I don't see any missing generations or gaps, particularly in Genesis chapter 5, this genealogy. There's a bunch of reasons for that, but... Uh, to save time, we're going to skip those, all right? Um, let me just say that some theologians surmise that there are as many as 22 generations gap, specifically here in Genesis 5. But would a chronologist who was so careful to record these specific names and these particular ages and detailed numbers of years um, include all that and yet omit 22 generations in his recording in his tabulation, um, I wouldn't find someone who, who chronicled that uh, trustworthy, um, very trustworthy at all. So um, on an interesting side note, I think it's interesting, okay? We can observe that Adam lived to see quite a bit of his family. At least he was around when they were alive. Okay? Doing some more math, when you add up the time spans between the fathers and sons in Genesis 5, there's actually 1,056 years from the time of Adam to Noah. Okay? Adam to Noah. Because some people think, when you just read it, it's a long genealogy, right? It's like, wow, that's, that's like Adam to Noah. There's no like, connection there. But only 1,056 years from Adam to Noah. Remember, Adam lived 930 years, right? And Genesis 7, verse 11 reveals that the flood occurred when Noah was 600 years old which means 1,656 years after the creation of Adam. Okay? If these, just, this addition is right and there's no gaps, um, the flood happened 1,656 years after the creation of Adam. So this does place the creation year at 4,004 B.C. and the flood, 2348 B.C. Okay, 2348. So, Adam 
lived until around 3000 BC, which was less than 700 years before the flood. Okay, just one lifespan back in those days. All right, just to put some perspective on it. So, so what? Who cares? Why does this all matter? All right, think about this. Adam was still alive when Noah's father, okay, Lamech, was born. Okay, Lamech was 56 years old when Adam died. Okay? Adam could not have known Noah, but this shows you how much of life that Adam was around for and how much he saw. And so it's hard to imagine okay, being the one who was created first by God, the very first man, and, and then the one who brought sin into the world, right? and then seeing your children sin and your two sons, one of them killed the other, um, and then all of Cain's line down to the unrighteous Lamech, but also Seth's line down to the faithful Enoch, and you see all this, right? Imagine being Adam and living 900 years and, and seeing all this stuff happen uh, to him and just uh, relating with uh, each and one of the descendants and great-grandson and great-great-grandson and great-great-great-grandson. Um, just very interesting, and I don't want to belabor the point, but uh, you just got to see this. Okay, there's 10 generations from Adam to Noah. And so when you look at Genesis chapter 5, verses 6 through 20, it gives you the rest of those generations, right? Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, uh, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. And so please turn with me real quick to 1 Chronicles chapter 1. 1 Chronicles chapter 1. It's going to be super quick, but you just have to see it. Because the Chronicles were written in like 400s B.C., this was like a thousand years after Moses was writing Genesis. And First Chronicles chapter 1 starts with a genealogy beginning with, guess who? Adam. First Chronicles 1, the first four verses name these first ten, uh, first ten generations. And guess what? Guess what the names are? First Chronicles 1, 1 through 4. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalal, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, and then Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Exactly the same. A thousand years later. And then, last thing we have to turn to is Luke chapter 3. And this is another 500 years after the Chronicles. Luke chapter 3, verses 37 and 38. This traces Jesus' line all the way back to Adam. I mentioned this last Sunday. But look at these ten names that are written. And I'll go backwards, okay, starting in verse 38. Son of Adam, son of Seth, son of Enosh, son of Canaan, son of Mahalel, son of Jared, son of Enoch, son of Methuselah, son of Lamech, son of Noah, son of Shem, and so on. Okay? But those ten names, right in order, same exact thing, 1,500 years later. My point here is this, folks. All of this speaks to the accuracy and testimony of Scripture. Okay? All those people who lived during Adam's time, they were receiving firsthand direct line of God's revelation to Adam and Eve, who was around at that time. Okay, they would be able to talk to them, and Adam would be able to tell them about the life in the garden, about how they sinned, about the serpent, about being banished, about what happened after that, about how I'm keeping faith, how he's pressing on, about how he's working. He told them all that. He was able to tell each of them. And that's for hundreds and hundreds of years, okay, almost until the flood. And so I'll get back to the, the pertinence of that in a little bit, but um, the last reason I gave you for this Genesis 5 genealogy was, and it's the primary reason, but it's that God preserves the line of descendants through whom the promised seed of the woman will come. And uh, I'm going to get back, like I said, on the last point. 
And so, let's get to our, our second, second point here. Walking with God. Okay, that's your blank. Walking with God. And verse 21 to 24 Enoch's story begins the same way as the others, but it abruptly changed in verse 22. You might have noticed that was I, when, I, when I read it. Then Enoch walked with God. What a difference. And so it says, He walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And he was not means that Enoch, unlike the others, did not die. He simply was not, for God took him. In other words, God just took him up to heaven without him experiencing death. Okay, Enoch is the exception to the ultimate statistic, right? There's one other one who's an exception is Elijah, right? Second Kings 2 verse 11. He was taken to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha is sitting there watching, right? And to me, those, those two exceptions are maybe, maybe a, a preview of the rapture. going to be taken up, seized uh, to be with the Lord in the air. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Corinthians 15, John 14, right? So Enoch, why such an exception? Why such an exception to, and he died? What made Enoch stand out? Well, it's that repeated phrase that Enoch, what? Walked with God. And there's something different about this one as we read that genealogy. Uh, Commentator John Curid, the meaning of walked with God, he says that verb is often employed idiomatically to mean to commune. To commune, that is, as a habit of life, a manner of life. Okay, the Hebrew form of that verb indicates durative force. In other words, continuous nature. Enoch consistently, continually, constantly communed with God. Our best commentary of that is in the New Testament, right? Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, you can jot that down, verses 5 and 6. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. Verse 6 says, And without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. That describes Enoch, a faithful man. The Hebrews' hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. Enoch had faith in God. He believed God's word. He trusted in his promise. I think we can assume that this includes maybe even especially his promise of the conquering seed. And maybe it was even told directly to him by, by Adam and Eve. I don't know. That's just speculation. Okay, but look at uh, briefly what Jude says about Enoch. Another New Testament reference to Enoch. Very quickly, you can just um, listen. Jude 14 and 15. It says, It was also about these men which refers back to verse 4 of Jude, false teachers who've crept into the church. It was about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came away with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch walked with God for 300 years, and part of that walking was proclaiming, prophesying, proclaiming the name of the Lord and speaking against those who would speak against God. Ungodly sinners. Four times that word ungodly is is used in in Jude in those verses, and it's describing those people who were out in Jude's day and in Enoch's time. Can you believe that? All the way back at the very beginning of creation were these apostates, 
false teachers, people who are speaking false and wrong things, unrighteous things about God at the very beginning of creation, okay, just, just generations removed, and Enoch was prophesying against them. This is part of his character. This is part of him walking with God. So this is uh, quite incredible to, to think about. Okay, once again, Adam was still around at that time. This was all going on. So, by the way, Noah walked with God too. Did you know that? Okay, it actually says that in uh, Genesis 6, uh, verse 9, which we'll get to in a couple Sundays. He's called a preacher of righteousness in 2 Peter 2, verse 5. Um, Noah believed God's word that the flood was coming. He obeyed God. He built the ark, and he loved people. And he preached righteousness. So, like Enoch, Noah walked with God and he was proclaiming the Lord. So they both stand out. So, uh, Matthew Henry says that walking with God means to set him before us and to act as if we were always under his eye. It's to make God's word our rule and his glory our end in all our actions. And it is to make it our constant care and endeavor in everything to please God and in nothing to offend him, end quote. And I think that's a good definition of walking with God. And I want to ask, by way of application, how are we doing in our walks with the Lord this morning? Are we walking with him? Are we proclaiming his name? And my dear wife, as we were talking about it this week, and we are talking about Enoch, and she just sweetly and humbly and honestly said that uh, I have trouble walking with God for one day. One day. And uh, imagine 300 years. Hey, that's, it's so true. And yet, it's commanded of believers by God in the New Testament to walk. Walk. Galatians 5.25. We live by the Spirit. Let us also walk by the Spirit. Colossians 2.6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Other scriptures, walk in a manner worthy of Christ. Walk, live in a manner worthy of the gospel by which you've been called. And we should see that as a privilege. It's a command, but sure, it's a privilege. And um, it's possible, just like it was with Enoch, for us to walk with the Lord. It's a lifestyle that's characterized by genuine devotion to Christ. So to cap this point, um, I love what Spurgeon said. Okay, listen, he said, quote, Enoch walked with God for 300 years. This implies perseverance. You have received Christ. Persevere in receiving him. You have come to trust him. Keep on trusting him. You hang about his neck as a poor, helpless sinner. Remain hanging there. Abide in Christ. End quote. And this is where the real enjoyment of God's blessing is found as we abide in him. All right, so the glimmer of hope is our last point, folks, real quick. The glimmer of hope, verses 28 to 31. And the pattern breaks once again with Lamech, with Noah. And um, it says there, I gave a dramatic pause. Lamech became the father of a son. Instead of giving the name right off the bat, he says then, in support of our third point here, a glimmer of hope, Lamech names this son Noah. And he gives an explanation. Dad's hope is that Noah will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. And you, you probably ask, hope? Hope, this is Noah. Noah means the flood's coming. Where's, where's the hope? 
Well, a quick explanation is that Noah sounds like the Hebrew verb nuach, which means to rest. It means to comfort. There's a wordplay going on there. The name that Lamech gave to his son is fitting of his character, and it's anticipating with hope of something to come. And Lamech acknowledges this curse from the Lord, that life is hard. Everyone's having a tough time eking out a living. Despite those advances made, um, it's, just, it's just really hard. Pain and toil and sweat and misery is the, just kind of the character and the, the, the rule of the land. So Noah comes with the hope that there may be some relief. Okay, so conclusion. The primary purpose of this Genesis 5 genealogy, which I told you, is God keeps his promises, the promise of the seed. Okay? The descendants of the promised seed was going to come. The genealogy of Seth's line replaces Abel's line. Abel. God preserves that line of descendants through whom the promised seed of the woman is going to come. And it's from Seth. It goes all the way down to Noah. And the hope is yet future. Because verse 32, Noah was 500 years old, became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And we're going to learn a lot more about these guys in the next chapter, next chapters. But for now, Noah becomes the father of Shem, Ham, Japheth. That's not in order, but prominence. And here's the end of the, of the sermon. Okay, this quote, just helpful. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber, Genesis 10:21. And this is important because the word Eber is the origin of the Hebrew word for Hebrew. The word Shem means name, which implies that Noah expected this son's name to be great. He was right. The word, the modern words Semitic and Semite are derived from Shem's name. Some of you are wondering about that. Semite, where we get that? From Shem here, one of Noah's sons. Shem lived 600 years. He became the ancestor of the Semitic peoples, Genesis 10. Abraham, who's a descendant of Shem, is the first person in the Bible who's referred to as a Hebrew. And so Noah blessed Shem above his brothers, Genesis 9. And it was, listen, through Shem that the promised seed who was destined to crush Satan came. That seed is traced back to Adam's son, Seth, through whom Shem on to Abraham, Judah, David, leading all the way to guess who? None other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 3. Okay, that's where the hope of victory is found, folks. Faith in God, trusting in Christ, the promised seed, the curse of sin and death is overcome by Jesus. It's only through him that we can walk with God. The promise has been fulfilled at the cross where Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And so we can sing, in Christ alone my hope is found. He is my strength and my song. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand and I'll walk with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, there's almost too much in it, uh, but we try and we thank you. And um, I pray, Lord, that we were able to receive uh, the fruit of your blessing through its proclamation. And everyone here was just blessed, God, uh, through this, this uh, precious word in Genesis 5. We thank you and praise you most of all for the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in his name. Amen.